Hello and welcome to the JNMP podcast. My name is Elizabeth Hyten and I'm going to be talking today about MRIs in neurodegenerative dementia with Dr. McKeonan from the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Cambridge. Dr. McKeonan recently published her systematic review alongside fellow authors in the JNMP and it's our discussion point for today. So Dr. McKeonan, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So my first question really is, your paper particularly looks at 7T MRI. Uh, So my first question really is, what is 7T MRI and what makes it distinct from other types of MRI? So essentially, the 7T MRI is an MR scanner where your static magnetic field has a strength of 7 Teslas. So if you think about usual clinical scanners that we use in hospitals, they usually have a field strength of about 1.5 Tesla. And most research scanners have a field of about three Tesla. So essentially, it's just a much stronger magnetic field that we're starting to use in research. Uh, the way that it's different from the lower field strengths is this increase in field strength allows you to have increased resolution and or quicker acquisition of uh, images for patients. So you get sharper, more detailed images. The signal-to-noise ratio is also higher, so you get less noisy data, which makes it easier to see any changes in the brain that might be there. The other thing that were particularly is different about 7 Tesla MRI is that as the magnetic field gets stronger in the scanner, it's much more sensitive to picking out what we call ferromagnetic substances, so those that are magnetic in themselves, because this distorts the magnetic field of the scanner. Uh, So you can see very clearly any iron-containing substances in the brain, which is very interesting for neurodegenerative dementias because such substances in the brain include things like amyloid, small bleeds, vascular changes, and iron itself, which we feel may be associated with dementias. Right. So if 7T MRI has improved resolution and sharper images and, and can pick out these minute changes, is there any reason why people, you mentioned that clinical use 1.5 Tesla and that research tends to use 3. So why doesn't everyone use 7T? Is it fairly new? Yeah. So I've told you some of the advantages of 7 Tesla, but there's also, of course, challenges as well. So currently, to my knowledge, it's only used as a research tool. So as you increase the field strength, you're increasing potential risks to patients, which is, of course, a big uh, concern that we might have. So, for example, it's more difficult to put people with certain magnetic implants through the scanner. So at 1.5 Tesla or 3 Tesla, there's generally no problem with things like hip and knee replacements. But at the moment, we're reserving judgment clinically for the 7 Tesla scanners. There's also, if you increase the resolution a lot, then any movement in the scanner becomes much more of a problem. So, of course, in clinical group, particularly dementias, where a number of the dementias are associated with movement disorders, that is potentially a big issue, which might limit its utility. You also have more the sensitivity to susceptibility that I was saying about, so the sensitivity to iron-containing substances also means that you get more artifacts in the scanner. So the pictures, you sometimes get drop out. So that's where the signal just disappears. And the review that we completed suggests that some of these issues can be overcome with new expertise and the new knowledge that's coming through. I guess, as you alluded to, one big reason why it's not being used very much at the moment is that it's very new. 
So I believe there are around 50 of these in the whole world. Of course, that makes it very expensive. And it means that clinicians and researchers, very few of us as yet have the expertise to know exactly how to use this new technology. Uh, one great thing that's happening in the UK is that the Medical Research Council, which is investing heavily in dementia and neuroscience at the moment, is investing in 7 Tesla imaging in the UK. Uh, so it's likely to be something that is more commonly used in the future. So, of course, I mean, your review was looking at 7T MRI systematically in neurodegenerative dementias. So with the caveat, I suppose, that you mentioned earlier, that it, in those clinical groups it might be more challenging using 7T given the um, accompanying or comorbid movement disorders. Did the literature that your review pulled out sort of suggests that these um, 7T MRIs have real benefit when studying these neurodegenerative dementias? Was it sort of dependent on the disease that was studied? I mean, what were your major findings? So, yes, we did find real benefits in our review. So, for example, in the papers that we uh, looked at, one paper found a very high prevalence of microbleeds, so little bleeds in the brain, when they scanned patients at 7 Tesla. And they also scanned them at 3 Tesla and they couldn't see those microbleeds as well. Also, one of the main things our paper picked out were the changes in the hippocampal subfields in people with Alzheimer's. Uh, and that's just something that we've seen at lower field strengths as well. So the hippocampus is this very complex structure made up of a number of different parts. It's not one homogenous structure. And we've seen that at 3 Tesla as well. But in this review, we found there were papers that had looked at individuals with mild cognitive impairment who were high risk for Alzheimer's disease. And they decided this by looking at their APOEE4 status, which is a risk factor for the development of Alzheimer's. And they found that in those high risk groups, they were able to differentiate between them and individuals with no cognitive impairment at all in terms of the size of these subfields. And that's something that you haven't been able to see at lower field strengths. So using MRI before, and that suggests there's real tangible benefits because we're able to see changes in very, very small structures. So in our review, we, we looked specifically at neurodegenerative dementias, as you said. We only found 19 studies have been published to date, and 15 of those were looking at Alzheimer's disease. So you asked about whether it was disease dependent, but actually for Lewy body dementias, so that's dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia, and frontotemporal dementia, we didn't find a single study that had been published so far that use seven Teslas in life. And we might ask the question, why is that? So it's one of the things is that Alzheimer's is the leading cause of neurodegenerative dementia. It's where a lot of the funding is, it's where a lot of the research is and the interest. Uh, so it could just be that these other diseases are not as heavily studied and therefore are a bit later coming to seven Tesla scanners coming to new technology. But it could also be because people with these dementias have different challenges. So, for example, in dementia with Lewy bodies, you get Parkinsonian-type features, so you get movement disorder. And these people might just be more difficult to scan. We don't know that yet. There isn't enough literature to tell us. The findings in Alzheimer's that we saw, so the, the changes in the very small, complex structures, would suggest that we would see improvements in these other dementias and other diseases as well using 7-Tesla. So, for example, in dementia with Lewy bodies, uh, the thalamus 
is of particular interest because it plays a role in movement and also in alertness. And they're both key parts of dementia with Lewy bodies. And it's, the thalamus is very complex structure, again, made up of lots of little nuclei with different roles. So it would be interesting to know in the future if we can use 7 Tesla to look at parts of the brain like the thalamus in the same way that you can look at the hippocampus and see very small changes in very small structures. One of the major things when thinking of neurodegenerative dementias is, of course, or neurodegenerative diseases in general, is, of course, that often the pathological findings are only found at post-mortem or or confirmed at post-mortem. So it sounds like from the literature review, although maybe more limited to AD in this um, first instance, given the prevalence of studies in that area, does it look like 7T may be one of the closest neuroimaging techniques that may exist to correlating well with post-mortem pathological findings and those minute substructures, as you mentioned, and the microbleeds. Is is that something that came up in your paper? So in our review, we were looking specifically at in vivo uh, papers, so in vivo studies, looking at people and their presentations in life. Uh, What you hope for when you're looking at for studies using MRI to look at dementias is longitudinal data. So where you've had multiple tests and multiple MRIs in life and then also looking at the post-mortem tissue. And this is something that you get a lot in 1.5 and 3 Tesla uh, research studies. That's not as yet something that's happened with 7 Tesla MRI and that's probably just because of how new 7 Tesla MRI is. It's likely to come in the future, is my opinion, when 7 Tesla is more widely available. There have been a number of post-mortem 7T MRI studies. So just looking, taking post-mortem tissue, staining it histologically, and then looking at the MRI images. And they have found correlations between staining, uh, for example, for amyloid and iron. So it's something that potentially will come in the future. That that would be my hope. It certainly sounds like... um... There's quite a few things that are sort of the ultimate next step for 7T MRI. It sounds like it might be a promising new technique and certainly the literature out there is suggestive that it provides novel um, findings that currently other types of MRI. So it sounds like, you know, different clinical populations um, using it in the um, non-Alzheimer's dementias and using it longitudinally to compare to the post-mortem tissue seems like the next step for 7T MRI. Would I be right? Yeah, I'd I'd say that would be key. Fantastic. Well, Dr. McKinnon, thank you so much for joining me today and explaining um, explaining to me your research findings. It's been very, very helpful. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. No problem. So that was Dr. McKinnon from the Institute of Psychiatry at the University of Cambridge. And we were talking about her and fellow authors review that's been published in the JNMP that you can find now online at jnmp.bmj.com. And thank you again for tuning into our podcast. Thank you.